Hey, good morning. Thankful for your attendance this morning. Uh, obviously, you know that uh, kind of getting hit in a couple of different capacities with sickness and the weather. But thankful you're here this morning as we uh, are continuing our study on the life of Christ. Uh, you know, again, you know, just because of, uh, you know, this is sort of an introductory uh, to this lesson that it's going to take, again, some time to get through. Uh, again, I'm going to be teaching this on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. Uh, I do record these, uh, the audio for these, and put them on our website uh, through the, the podcast uh, that I have set up there. So, you know, if you're not able to attend Wednesday evenings and you want to keep up, uh, you can listen to those audios there. Uh, or vice versa, uh, you know, if you're here Wednesday with us but not here Sunday morning because maybe you're teaching another class. And so I know uh, some aren't able to be into both classes, uh, but it is sort of necessary that we do it this way in order to get through uh, this challenge in the year 2022. And uh, again, we'll have lots to cover as we go throughout the life of Christ. Uh, this this uh, morning, we are going to again focus on uh, some, again, introductory things in the life of Jesus. And then on Wednesday, we will jump into the scriptures and start our course uh, through the gospel of counts. But again, you know, last week, or excuse me, not last week, but on Sunday morning, Wednesday evening, we looked at the political, political landscape of Jesus's day. And so if you were here with us, we talked about uh, that basically that 400 years of time between uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, we, we refer to that as the intertestamental period. Uh, this is a period of 400 years of silence. Uh, there were no prophets prophesying during these 400 years. There was no miracles being done these 400 years. And it was just a time of when uh, the people were waiting for the Messiah to, to show up. And we, also, we talked at great length about that uh, that vision in Daniel chapter 2 of King Nebuchadnezzar who had that vision that he wanted interpreted of the, the four different aspects of this great statue that he saw before him of the head of gold and the, and the breast and arms of silver and the legs of bronze and the, the, the feet and uh, the feet of uh, iron and clay. And, uh, you know, he wanted to know what those represented. And we talked about, uh, you know, again, at some length that those represented the four nations uh, that were uh, going to come about until the J Jesus uh, showed up on earth. And they were in the Babylonian um, period of time. And King Nebuchadnezzar was told that you are the head of gold, but that uh, at some point another uh, nation is going to come and overthrow you and is going to take that mantle as being the, the dominant force in the world. And the, that, of course, was the Medes and the Persians. And that's really where our Old Testament ends. It ends during the administration of the kings of the Medes and Persians. And so then that 400 years of silence begins. Uh, from there, uh, the, the Medes and Persians are going to be taken over by Gre Greece. And this, of course, is Alexander the Great. And what he does is quite remarkable because he is going to increase vastly the kingdom uh, that uh, basically, you know, his plan was to take over the world. That's what he wanted to do. And so as he does this, uh, you know, we, providentially, some things are at work, right? The Greek language is now being spread throughout the world. Uh, more and more people are going to be able to speak this common language. And this is going to be important. For the time when you know Jesus comes and the scriptures are going to be written, uh, that uh, 
that people can be able to read the scriptures. And then, of course, uh, after uh, the Grecian era is Rome. Uh, And, of course, that's where Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 tells us that in the days of those kings, uh, the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will be not left to another person. And that, you know, the the Messiah, the the church, the, the Christ are all going to take place. During that reign. And again, that's the the reign of the Roman Empire. And again, providentially, we see a lot of great things happening during this this reign. Uh, The Romans were great at building roads. And that's important because now the the Christians are going to have an easier time of spreading the gospel message throughout the world. Uh, The Romans brought peace. You know, they had this thing called the Pax Romana, which basically meant, you know, they... They made peace, but they did it uh, in the sense of with an iron fist. Right? People were afraid to speak up or to start anything knowing that uh, you know, the Roman uh, government, the Roman officials were right there and would establish peace and keep the peace at all costs. But uh, again, the, the, you know, the important thing was, was the language. Right? They established the Greek language as the language of the day. Uh, we know the New Testament is going to be written in Greek. And again, uh, the, uh, the common people of the day are going to be able to read the scriptures uh, because of this. So we looked at the political landscape on Wednesday evening uh, that took place during the circumstances of Jesus' world. Uh, but now, this morning, what we want to uh, turn our attention to, again, as we uh, go through the gospel accounts, as we want to... Uh, think of more of the, the physical environment that Jesus lived in. Now, obviously, the Bible is not a geography book. Right? It's not a geography book, but um, there's a lot of geography in the Bible. You know, maybe you're interested in geography. Maybe that was one of your favorite subjects. You know, the Bible is filled with uh, geography. And I know a lot of preachers who have had the opportunity to go overseas and to visit the Bible lands, you know, and do the tours over there. And they come back and they just say how great their, their lives have been blessed to be able to actually see the things that, you know, the Bible writers talk about and write about. To get to see the Sea of Galilee, you know, from where Jesus might have been standing. Or, or to see, um, you know, the, the deserts or to see uh, Jerusalem and where the temple might have been. You know, again, uh, these are some things that, you know, we want to have sort of a working knowledge of as we go through uh, the scriptures. So let's talk about uh, this land. Uh, You know, obviously it it goes by many different names uh, throughout scripture and outside of scripture. But in the Old Testament, uh, what is this land referred to? Let me ask you that. There's a song we sometimes sing to... Yeah, to Canaan's land, I'm on my way. You know, this is the land of Canaan. This is the promised land. Before they, you know, take uh, this land to be their own, you know, the Bible often refers to it as Canaan. Uh, In the New Testament times, however, uh, you know, we we see it more uh, Israel or uh, Palestine. Um, Not that the word Palestine is in Scripture, it's in the Bible, but we often refer to it as the land of uh, Palestine. Uh, Before we jump in, I have a couple of maps uh, for you to see. I don't know how well we're going to be able to see them uh, because they are sort of small, but I just want to point out one thing. First, uh, this 
I can get it to move. Okay, so here is a map of, uh, you know, Paul's uh, missionary journeys. And we're not speaking about the life of Paul, and we're not focusing in on his missionary journeys, but I just kind of want to get you a sense of this land of Canaan, this land of Israel that we're going to be studying is right over here. Okay, this little piece of land, you know, you can see the Sea of Galilee, you can see the Dead Sea, and we're, we're going to be ta- focusing the life of Jesus around this area. Um, do we know in Scripture if Jesus ever left that area? I can think of one time, you know, think back when he was a young child. Right. Uh, when he was young, Matthew chapter 2 tells us that he went into Egypt uh, because, of course, Herod w- was killing the, the young boys of that time, trying to get rid of this threat to his uh, kingdom. But other than that, when we talk about the life of Jesus, we're talking about this region right here. Right? This is Israel. This is the land of Canaan. I, I-, I hope to find a map that maybe had some more uh, the boundaries over here, uh, some more of the land, but you know this one's going to suffice for us. But of course, you know as uh, the church begins in Acts chapter two, you know, and Paul starts bringing uh, the the gospel message uh, throughout the again the known world. You know that's the path he took. But again, we are just focusing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We are just going to be focusing on this little tiny area uh, right there. This area. And I'll, I'll move to this next map because we'll spend our most of our time uh, talking about this map here of just kind of a blown up view of Israel. Uh, you know, this isn't that big of uh, a land uh, mass uh, from from north to south, 150 miles, east to west, you know, about 50 miles. You know, that that's the um, the geography. That's the you know, the. the the, the calculation of the, the you know, the, of the, the distance of this place, uh, you know, if we compared it to anywhere in the United States, uh, New Jersey usually comes up as the first uh, state that it's most uh, closely associated with in landmass. Okay, so I don't know if anyone is familiar with New Jersey or been to New Jersey, but that's, you know, that's pretty much the size that we're talking about here. Matter of fact, 40 of the 50 states in the United States are larger than the land of Israel. This land that is so prominent within Scripture. And so uh, throughout Jesus' life, we're going to see these terms like Judea and Samaria and Galilee uh, come up over and over again. This is really how we're going to break down the, the region of Israel. Uh, Judea is going to be in the south. Galilee is going to be to the north. And then the land of Samaria is right there smack dab in the middle. And we'll talk about a little bit more later about the significance of uh, Samaria uh, for, for the Jewish people. But uh, the Jews dominated Judea. Why do you think that is? What, what city in Judea is of prominence for the Jewish people. Jerusalem, right. Jerusalem here, uh, you know, you might think of it as, as the capital. You know, this is where the temple is. This is where worship takes place. This is a very, very important uh, city for the Jews. You know, this is the holy city. This is the city of the Messiah. 
And so uh, Judah, or excuse me, Judea was in the southern half of Palestine. Uh, and so we want to focus in on those regions at times when Jesus travels there. Uh, again, in the middle is Samaria. Uh, Samaria was this uh, group of uh, this landmass that was occupied by the Samaritans. Uh, can, what do we know about the Samaritans? I'm oh, sorry. Okay, yeah, the Jews look down upon them. Every time we read about the Samaritans within Scripture, you know, the, the Jews are looking down upon them. The, the Samaritans were a race of uh, half-Jews. Uh, this was during the, the captivity uh, of half... Uh, they were Jewish uh, men and women who, um, who uh, intermarried with the Gentiles of, of those who they were in captivity with. And because of that... Uh, they were, you know, half Jewish descent. And when they came back out of captivity or those who stayed in that area, uh, you know, the Jews looked down upon them again because, uh, you know, they were not full flooded, uh, full blooded Jews. Uh, they, they were half Jews. And so, um, you know, again, all the time uh, we read about them in Scripture. Note, again, um, notice with me in John chapter 4. Uh, I just want to point out this verse here in John chapter 4, uh, starting, well, let's start in verse 1. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Uh, it says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. Okay, so verse 3 says he's leaving Judea and he's going to Galilee up there in the north. But verse 4 tells us, and he had to pass through Samaria. You know, that's just an interesting verse that John includes for us there, that he had to pass through Samaria. You know, sometimes uh, when the Jews would travel from Galilee to Judea, they would travel around Samaria. You know, it would make the travel a little bit longer uh, but they didn't want to go through Samaria. They didn't want to deal with, you know, who they would refer to as unclean uh, individuals, those not worthy uh, of being uh, full-blooded full Jews. And so most of the time they would, you know, go around Samaria. But in this particular instance, Jesus says that, you know, they had to go and pass through Samaria. And that, of course, is, uh, if you continue reading in John chapter 4, this is the account of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And so that's obviously there was a reason why they uh, went through Samaria because, uh, you know, because this event uh, is going to take place. So Judea in the south, Samaria in the middle, and at the north uh, is Galilee. You know, this isn't going to be um, as full-fledged of a Jewish population as Judea, but it's, there's going to be a lot of Jews here. Uh, and Jesus is going to spend, you know, most of his life in, the, in his ministry in this area. Uh, let's think of the three major cities uh, of Jesus's life. When you think of Jesus, um, you know, what are the three cities uh, that you can think of as far as uh, his, um, his background, his his. his his birth or where he grew up or where his ministry was located. 
Okay, right. Bethlehem is where Jesus was born. But why? Oh, sorry. Nazareth. Nazareth, right. So let me ask you this. You know, you know, the Bible often refers to Jesus of Nazareth, uh, but he was born in Bethlehem. Uh, can we make sense of that? Yes. Yeah. Right. So, so Jesus. Oh, sorry. Did you say something? Okay, yeah, so, uh, so Jesus, his family, uh, up here in Galilee, this region was where, and there's Nazareth right there, you know, that's where, you know, Mary and Joseph would have been from, but uh, of course we know uh, the scriptures that talk about how at that time that they had to go uh, down here into Judea, they come to Bethlehem. Uh, where Jesus is going to be born. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, but he's going to be raised uh, back here in his uh, hometown of, of Nazareth. But when he begins his ministry, really the focus of his life is going to be centered around the, this city up here in Galilee of Capernaum. I mean, lots of times, you know, Jesus... Uh, he, we read in the scriptures that he's, you know, he's leaving Capernaum or he's coming back to Capernaum. You know, this was really his base of operations. And we can see that it's, a, you know, it's an important place because it is right there at the Sea of Galilee. Right? The Sea of Galilee is going to play uh, an important role in the life of Jesus. You know, and so uh, we need to keep th- these in mind as we uh, continue the study, um, this life of Jesus. And, you know, we did mention, uh, did Jesus ever travel outside of Palestine? And other than uh, his flight to Egypt, we really don't see that. We, you know, we see Jesus within, you know, this area during uh, his life. So we might ask ourselves, you know, why Canaan? Why this spot? Did, did God send forth his son? Why did he, uh, why was this land promised to the Israelites? What's so important uh, about this land. Uh, you know, Abraham, if we think of Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, he was not from this land, right? He would have been from the, the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans, which, again, if I had a map, a full map, it would be, you know, over here to the, to the, the west of Israel. But, of course, God calls him. Uh, you know, he leaves his homeland. He travels uh, to this uh, promised land. Um, and... You know, just again, if we were able to go there and just to see, uh, you know, the boundaries of this land, to see the things around us, we'd notice that, you know, to the north of us, we would have, you know, a great mountain range. And to the east and south is, you know, desert land. And on the west, you know, we got the Mediterranean Sea, right? And so uh, this land is pretty... Uh, much one of the more um, invincible lands uh, that they could have chosen. There's boundaries on all sides uh, for uh, their protection from their enemies. You know, the mountain ranges, the deserts, the water. And so, again, this was a great, um, a great area. Again, if we were to look back towards, again, I, I wish I had more of the map towards uh, the west, but, you know, Israel was a prime prime uh, spot of land for uh, travel, for commerce. Uh, people in, in Europe, in Asia Minor, uh, and the East, you know, they're going to do a lot of business with Egypt, and so there's going to be a lot of travel that's going to take place through this uh, land. 
this, this way into Egypt and coming out of Egypt. So again, that is another important uh, factor of why God chose this land. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and was this a good land or was it you know, just ordinary land? It was good, right? It's a, how's the Old Testament refer to it as? A land flowing with milk and honey, right? I mean, this was a great land, very productive. Um, you know, we see even in the Old Testament how uh, some of the enemies of the Israelites would come in and uh, raid it because of how productive it was. So again, this was a very productive land. So we, uh, we talked about uh, sort of the, this land area that, you know, Jesus is going to have his ministry in. Um, you know, the people at this time um, in, in the Old Testament, you know, they're, they're starting to become known as the Jews. You know, if you read the book of Esther, that's really where that's prominent uh, because the word Jew is used uh, multiple times in, in that book in the Old Testament. Uh, but by New Testament times, that's going to be their primary designation. You know, no, no longer are they going to be really referred to as the Hebrews or the, the Israelites, but, you know, now they're. Uh, more centrally focused on this, uh, the, the, the description of the Jews. And, you know, we, we talked a bit about this on Wednesday evening, about, the, you know, the language of the time. Well, does, does anyone want to gander uh, or, or take a guess as to which language, you know, Jesus probably spoke? What was the second one? Aramaic. Aramaic. Yeah, the, the, a lot of scholars believe that you know the, the prominent uh, you know uh, dialect or, or language that Jesus would have spoken was Aramaic. You know, and we see that uh, sometimes in the scripture where um, you know that the, the scripture writers will uh, you know they'll quote something that Jesus said in Aramaic. Uh, but he also would have spoke Greek as well. And of course, that's coming on as being the universal language uh, of the time with the Roman government there. But uh, I just want to point out this verse in uh, John chapter 19, uh, verse uh, 20. In John chapter 19, verse 20, again, Jesus is, uh, he's on the cross and, um, you know, Pilate has an inscription written about Jesus, and he puts it on the cross. Verse, actually, verse 19, chapter 19, tells us that Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Okay, so this was the inscription that was put on the cross. Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. And verse 20 says, Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in uh, Greek. So, you know, you, we really got... a you know, a disbursement of various languages being spoken during this time. And so Pilate wanted to make sure that, you know, all those uh, who were able to read could read it in their own language, whether it was, um, whether it was Hebrew or Latin or uh, Greek. Let's think of the occupations of the time of the land. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, before the Jews went into captivity, what was their main a focus on what was their main industry? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, we we see you know uh, 
agriculture uh, or, or shepherding, right? The herdsmen, they, they were herdsmen, they were, they were farmers. You know, that was really uh, the focus in the Old Testament when we think of, you know, individuals like Abraham and, and Lot and when we think of, uh, you know, Jacob and, and David, right? That's where, uh, you know, the, they made their livings. That's where uh, the Israelites, you know, made, again, their living in this land was on agriculture, farming and, um, and, and shepherding. But after uh, the Babylonian captivity and Assyrian captivity, right, Babylon and Assyria, they, they take Israel uh, far away, away from this land, uh, specifically the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And when they finally come back, as we move into uh, the New Testament, you know, we start to see a different range of uh, occupations being, um, being provided, right? What was, uh, you know, the father of, uh, uh, you know, Jesus's uh, legal father, Joseph, what was his occupation? Carpenters. So, so we're starting to see some more of the trades uh, being practiced now uh, after uh, the captivity. Peter and Andrew, uh, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, what were they? Fishermen. Yeah, so uh, we, we see the shift away from shepherding, uh, although it's still taking place, to uh, you know, carpentry, and we see fishermen. Uh, eventually, we're going to learn about Paul, and, and besides being a preacher... And being, uh, you know, a Pharisee, uh, he had a side business. What did he do? Yeah, he, he built tents. Again, you know, we see this. We see a shift away from shepherding and, and agriculture to more of these uh, trades uh, that are going on in the land at this time. Also, worship. Let's think about worship in the land uh, of Canaan, because in the Old Testament, you know, when, when they uh, when they come in to the land, you know, they're they're worshiping in the wilderness by. Uh, by using the, the tabernacle, and then eventually during the days of King David wanting to have a, a house built for the Lord, you know, Solomon's going to do that. His son Solomon's going to build that for him. He's going to build that, that temple, you know, and that temple's going to be destroyed uh, here and there uh, throughout uh, history. And really during Jesus's life in uh, Palestine, during the gospel accounts, you know, the, the temple really never comes back you know, 100% to the glory that it was. And it's still being built upon. Uh, you know, just historically speaking, uh, in AD 70, you know, Jesus dies in AD 30 or AD 33, depending on which calendar you use. Uh, in AD 70, so about 40 years later, the temple is destroyed forever. Uh, it, it's completely wiped out. But during their, um, you know, the, their time of... Uh, captivity, you know, what, what uh, word should I say? What, what institution sort of comes out of captivity in regards to their worship? What place do we see throughout the scriptures, uh, especially in the gospel accounts, that's now taking up the main part of their worship? Or where are they worshiping at? That, that word that starts with an S, the, the synagogues, right? The synagogues. 
No longer are the Jews focused on coming you know, to the temple to worship because now they're dispersed. Right? After captivity, I mean, not all the Jews came back to Israel after the captivity. Not all of them came back to the land of Canaan. And, so the, and while they're away from home, they needed a way to worship God. And so they came up with you know, basically the system of synagogue worship. Uh, they're worshiping in the synagogues. Uh, their rules state that there has to be at least 10 Jewish men in the city to form a synagogue. Um, so wherever Jews were located, you know, there would be a synagogue there. You know, Paul, right? Well, Paul, when he was going on his missionary journeys, you know, that was the first place that he went to, right? Uh, he went straight to the synagogues. And sometimes uh, we read in his accounts that there was no synagogue uh, in the cities that he went to. And so um, he, though sometimes those could be hit or miss, but in the synagogues, when they were worshiping on the Sabbath, you know, their, their worship was rather simple. It was, you know, singing songs and they were praying, they were reading the scriptures, they were doing, uh, you know, studies of the scriptures. So that's, you know, that's the form of worship, you know, that we see in the life of Christ. And again, we'll see that as we jump into the scriptures that, you know, Jesus is going to go to the synagogues as well. And that's where he's going to do some of his teaching. Uh, that's where he's going to do some of his miracles, right? That's going to offend uh, a lot of the Pharisees, seeing him, you know, heal somebody on the Sabbath in, in the synagogue. And so we want to, folk, or, you know, keep that in mind uh, of, you know, during this time period that they were worshiping uh, that way. Uh, let's talk about the religious leadership of that time. Uh, in the Old Testament, you know, if you wanted to worship, you went through the priests, the priesthood. Uh, they were the ones who, um, you know, oversaw uh, the, 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 the worship of the day. But, you know, as, again, we move into this time of, of Jesus, we're starting to see uh, some different aspects uh, come around. We're starting to see, um, you know, rabbis, the, these great teachers of the law uh, start popping up. Uh, we, we start seeing... You know, these different groups, um, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and these different, uh, these different uh, sects uh, within uh, the Jewish uh, law. Now, uh, the priesthood is still important. Uh, the high priest is still important. Uh, in Luke chapter 3, uh, verse 2, we're told during the days of Jesus uh, who the high priests were. In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, uh, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. You know, Luke chapter 3, verse 2 gives us a, a marker of, uh, of a, a historical, uh, really, you know, historical timeline of, you know, who was high priest during the life of Jesus. And we're told Annas and Caiaphas uh, were those. Uh, you know, there's an interesting uh, history between that, Annas and Caiaphas. Caiaphas was Annas' uh, son-in-law. Annas was taken off the priesthood, and he, so he, or the high priesthood, and so he appointed his son-in-law, Caiaphas, uh, to take that over. And he's going to play a prominent role uh, towards the end of the life of Jesus. Right? He's going to be there during uh, those sham trials that are going to take place, uh, that are going to put Jesus um, on the cross. We see scribes. You know, who's a scribe? What is a scribe? 
a recorder, a writer. Yeah, all, all those work. You know, the word translates writer. Um, they recorded important events. They were sometimes called the lawyers of the day. Sometimes our translations will call them lawyers because they were known as authority of the scriptures. Because who better to know what the scriptures say than those who were writing them down constantly? You know, making, uh, copying those uh, over and over again. You know, they were, they were specialists in re- religious law. And, you know, we, we see them, uh, you know, over and over again. Uh, come up in in the scriptures. They're closely associated with the Pharisees, good buddies with the Pharisees. And, um, you know, another thing we want to mention during this time period, uh, as far as, you know, the leadership in the land is the formation of uh, the Sanhedrin. You know, the Sanhedrin was this group of 70 um, prominent uh, religious uh, Jews of that time. Uh, made up mostly of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. I think uh, the historians always say that the Sadducees were sort of the, uh, the bigger group, but the people did not like the Sadducees. They liked the Pharisees, and so the Pharisees were able to keep them in check. But this was a group, a council, that really you know, that would sort of make uh, some of the laws of that day uh, for the Jewish people. They would... You know, be maybe uh, the group that you would come before if you had a dispute. And so, uh, in the in the times of Jesus uh, Jesus's life, you know, he's got to deal with this group uh, referred to as the Sanhedrin. You know, that God never established in the Old Testament as you know an authoritative uh, group. But again, these are the people. That Jesus are going to have to deal with again. There's a rise of sectarianism uh, during this time. Again, the Pharisee, uh, you know, the Pharisee. I know Brother Jack gave you a couple of lessons on these uh, a few months ago, but the Pharisees were, you know, that's just a simple, simply a word for separatists. You know, they were a group within the Jewish religion who sort of, you know, separated themselves from the the popular and they went off separated themselves and made their own um group uh you know we see a lot of you know a lot of this the gospel accounts of jesus focus on the pharisees were all pharisees seen in a negative light though no uh, we can think of some like nicodemus right john chapter three he came to jesus by night he was a pharisee and as we see uh, as he comes back up in John a couple of more times, uh, you know he is going to become a disciple of Christ. But um, you know the Pharisees and Sadducees. You know again these are two different groups. We want to focus or at least keep this in mind uh, that that the Pharisees were those who they accepted the entirety of the Old Testament, but they also would go farther beyond the Scriptures and they would bind traditions. And, and uh, you know, um, laws of the fathers over, at, or they line them up with Scripture, right? They were just as authoritative as the Scriptures. So that, those are the Pharisees. But again, they were popular among the people because uh, they, they stood up for God. Uh, they, they wanted the people to, you know, follow God's laws to a T. It's just, again, the problem was with the Pharisees is that they would... Uh, create a hedge uh, around those laws, right? And we'll, again, we'll see lots of examples when we go through the life of Christ. 
But on the other hand is the Sadducees. And, you know, there's always that joke that preachers make of, you know, why are they called Sadducees? It's because they're sad, you see. Uh, because when we read about them in Scripture, you know, they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in angels. Uh, they don't believe in the entirety of the Old Testament. They, they only uh, give authority to the, the law of Moses, the first five books of Scripture. And so, uh, you know, they are a group that, you know, they sort of, uh, they were, uh, again, history tells us that there were more Sadducees than uh, the Pharisees uh, because they were a group that, you know, they, uh, they pandered to the people. Right? They, they gave the people what they wanted, and so that's why we see them uh, over and over again. So uh, I know our time is up. Um, appreciate your attendance here this morning. Again, on Wednesday, we will jump into uh, the text of the scriptures and uh, as we begin uh, looking at the gospel accounts. Um, I'll go ahead and we'll